On tonight's episode of Metal Mayhem ROC, the history of metal, it's the year 1986. Hair Nation is at the top of the charts. The Thrashers are gaining momentum. And the Old Guards all battling for the legacy supremacy. Metal Mayhem ROC starts now. WLFE TV Radio. Are you ready? Live from the Metal Mayhem Studios in Rochester, New York. We are gold. And heard around the world by metalheads just like you. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Heavy metal music. Your weekly dose of metal music, interviews, album reviews, news, and more. Want to be part of the show? Send us a message through our website, MetalMayhemROC.com. Or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Search Metal Mayhem ROC. It's getting nice and heavy. And now, welcome to tonight's host, John the Vernomatic Verno. Tonight's host, aren't I the host every night? Good evening and welcome to Metal Mayhem ROC. I am the Vernomatic, welcoming my cohorts, Ian O'Rourke from the band Motorlord and Metal Walt from the metal capital of the East Coast, New Jersey. Hey, fellas, how you doing tonight? What's going on, brother? Glad to be here. Walt, things good? Things are great. What's up, guys? Happy to be back. So tonight we're doing the history of metal, 1986. You know, everyone's uh, agreeing that there's a million bands. There's uh, everyone's popping up. It's crazy. So we're pulling an audible tonight because of the overabundance of bands we could talk about. We came up with the 25 best bands that had the most impact in the year. And this is what we're going to talk about. I put them down on a little list and it's in the Metal Mayhem jug. And Walt's going to be in charge of uh, the clock. Each band has about a minute to two minutes that we're allowing for discussions. Some of the topics, we have Hair Nation bands. We have a category called Half-Baked, which are some underground and yet developed bands that we want to call out. Oh, not Half-Baked. Well, some of them were <laughs> baked. Half-Baked in the, in the terms that they really maybe weren't at their peak or they never achieved success, but yet they have their place. We also have a section we call um, Walt's Wisdom and Ian's Insight where some other bands they cover. And then we have the majors for that year. Now this is totally random. We're just going on our experience, knowing what we know. Let's do this. Okay, the first subject is Hair Nation. Let me get a minute on the clock. We are good. Okay, the band, Ian and Walt, is rat. One minute on the clock. Hair Nation, go. It's it's a great album. Uh, it, it really was a, one of those shifting points where I think that, you know, the, the, the music started to get a little bit darker. It had a really good vibe to it. Unfortunately, they took a diversion to uh, Hair Town down the road. What album was that? Invasion? Dancing was, Undercover. Dancing, Dancing Undercover. Undercover. Okay. Yeah. And I will add that this is the album, um, the first album that they uh, they didn't have the sexy girls with the rats coming up the legs with the stockings on. So they're going for a tougher image. Just the five dudes, Stephen Piercy, right down the middle, looking a cigarette. But look at the songs. Dance, uh, Slip of the Lip, and Body Talk. I mean, that's good enough for me. But this was the end of them. They were in a reenact in 86. And after that, it was all back to clubs after that. So yeah. uh, still a strong album nonetheless. And, uh, yeah, that's Rat. They toured with uh, Rat Poison. That was the tour. They opened for Poison. Or, no, Poison opened for that. No, they opened for Poison. Poison opened for them, yeah. Yeah, Poison opened for them. Yep. So, all right. 
on to the next one. I pull, uh, what did I pull out here? Oh, here's a band, Half Baked. No clock needed. Metal Church from uh, Seattle. Okay, this was the second album, The Dark. Yeah, it was a great album. That first one, uh, Metal Church, Metal Church, just great shit. Well, what do you guys remember about Metal Church? Well, basically, The Dark is, it, to me, I mean, it's almost like chapter two from the, the first uh, album, the self-titled album. You know, they're kind of almost like uh, Armored Saint. You know, they've got um, this very traditional dark, heavy metal kind of sound, almost kind of thrashy at moments, but not full on, you know, thrash as we would, you know, know it with the big four and then some of their, their siblings along the way. But I mean, it's a freaking kick-ass album. It's still something that I enjoy to this day when I listen to it or if I hear it pop up on, you know, like Sirius or one of the radios. Standout tracks, ton of bricks. Uh, well, that's it. Uh, time's up. Time's up. Uh, next one, what do we got here? Ooh, the British Invasion. We have Judas Priest Turbo. Okay, I'll start with this. Turbo, uh, Frosted Hair. The video was ridiculous. Driving around in the space age uh, a motorcycle with the side, they go the, with the side cab. Uh, the music synthesizers, 1986. The tour was cool, but um, you know I think Priest had exhausted the creative pool. Well, what's your take on these guys? Well, listen, I think the album was okay. It didn't have any really killer tracks, but I, I still to this day I like Turbo Turbo Lover. I think it's a cool song. They still play it live after all these years. I got no problem with it. The little weird thing that that actual intro thing is not really a guitar. It's played on like, uh, I don't know, Ian, some other weird instrument, but yeah, it's a guitar synth, actually. Yeah, exactly. Guitar synth, something of the times. And, you know, the album cover wasn't all that great. It was kind of a cheesier version of, uh, you know, the previous albums that were really killer, but nah, definitely not a good one. It it didn't withhold the, 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 you know, time. Not a good one. Yeah, I, I got a, I got Thumbs a side down on that one. Thumbs down. All right. The, then yeah. they'll, yeah, there, there you go. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Another British invasion. There's a lot of Brits in here. Iron Maiden, Somewhere in Time. Walt, what's your take on Somewhere in Time? Well, I'm going to be the, the bit of a Debbie Downer here. I think it's good. I don't think there's anything unique about it. I think it's, uh, you know, it's the album that um, the band was getting tired. They were burnt out. They were touring like crazy through the previous years and uh, all over the globe. I mean, the year before 85, they were really a global band. And this one came out, and it's good. But, you know, you got memorable tracks on there. But honestly, as a as a fan, I kind of forgot most of the, let's say, the deeper tracks. I mean, you got Wasted Years and Heaven Can Wait and Stranger in a Strange Land. But who really thinks of Maiden for any of these other songs? You know, you saw Adrian Smith writing more, which which was okay. But I think Vern, you said in one conversation, this was also the beginning of maybe Bruce distancing himself in yeah. a very early period. Ian, what's your take? Yeah, just quickly. I mean, this is my number three Maiden album. Um, back in the in that time, this was kind of a big deal with some of the guys that I ran with. This was a it was a pretty big album. I love, you know, Wasted Years and Stranger in a Strange Land. Stranger in a Strange Land has got such a, just a great yeah, vibe to it, man. It just sounds so fucking majestic. It's really awesome to me. Quick question before we run out of time. You're the guitar player. Why'd they go to synthesize their guitars? 
Um, you know, Priest, I'm not 100% sure. I, I know that they were trying to keep with the times. Um, with Maiden, I think a lot of it was because of the elaboration on the songwriting. They wanted mm-hmm. to incorporate more with the keys and the synth to get more of a, you know, a proggy kind of sound, really. Yeah. All right. Well, let me get a minute on the clock. We're back to Sunset Strip and Hair Nation. Striper, to hell with the devil. I'll start with this. Uh, I had a good friend that was into Striper, exposed me to him. And I love Oz Fox's early guitar work and Michael Sweet, his singing's great. This one loaded with the the ballads. Hey, if you're going to do a ballad, you might you might as well do a power ballad. And they had like three or nah, four nah. of them. Nah, um, come on, guys. Come on, guys. No way. I, 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 I liked them. I liked them. Listen, come on. What 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 rock guy is liking a guy look like bumblebees and no, nothing against the Christian music and it's not even the <laughs> point. But come on, honestly, come on. Calling on, I mean, honestly, come on. I mean, that's that's not even worthy of AM radio in 1986. Come on, guys. This was not a good album aside from maybe the title track. He hates that. <laughs> what do you what do you got, Ian? I still think there's a good, you know, songs like Free. Sorry, guys, enough on Striper. We gave it a minute too long. All right. All right. All right. right. Let me dig deep in here. What do we got here? Go ahead. Let me dig deep. We can't have them all, you know? To each their own. There's a lot of friends of mine. Here you go. Uh, Well, let me me get a minute 25 on the clock, please. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. This is a uh, subject called Do They Still Got It? Sabbath, 1986. Mm. Well... You're a Sabhead. What do you got for Sabbath in 86? Well, they released Seven Star, which was supposed to be a, a Tony Iommi solo album. I mean, after uh, Born Again, Geezer left. Gillen went back to Deep Purple. He wrote songs, and he meant for them to be played with guest musicians. Mainly, he brought in Glenn Hughes to sing. Of course, ju- just like on uh, Born Again, they pressured him to to, to make it Tony Iommi, uh, you know, Black Sabbath featuring Tony Iommi. And listen, the result is good, but it's not fair that he had a bunch of lesser-name musicians playing with him. Yeah, he had Eric Singer and Dave the B. Spitz, but it wasn't the image. And by 86, the band was worn out. They went out on tour with Anthrax and Wasp in the States. It was half-empty arenas. And you know what? The biggest part of the problem was Glenn Hughes was in his drug haze, and he, he performed on the album, but he didn't. Um, enjoy being up on stage not playing bass. He was uncomfortable being a singer. He never just was a singer. And uh, he felt weird. And at the end of the day, you know what? He got into a fight with a roadie. And the roadie punched him in the nose and it broke his whole sinus cavity. And it gave him problems singing. He was horrible. I had bootlegs on that tour. He sounds horrible. In the New Jersey Meadowland show, I didn't go to this one, but they were rehearsing Ray Gillen in the basement. And uh, he was a local New York guy, friends with Dave the B. Spitz. And I think by the Long Island show in early April, he was replaced. So just a weird period of them, but no reflection at all on the album. I think I heard a bell. Ian, you got five seconds comment on it? Listen, number one, uh, the touring dates afterwards gave us the introduction to Ray Gillen, who was a fucking monster. Secondly, you can see this album as a stepping stone towards the Tony Martin era with, with the way that some of the songwriting was starting to go. Um, he was trying to, you know. Yes or no? Yes, yes. Okay, cool. On to the next one. 
I'm going to need um, 1.30 on the clock. And we got to stay tight with this clock. Okay, the, the subject is American Metal. Wasp mm. inside the electric circus. I'll start with this. Wasp, you know, they, they came around with that EP with Animal Fuck Like a Beast. You know, got them some pub, if you will. That debut album was fantastic, I thought. It had tons of killer stuff. Electric Circus comes around, and I think the... Um, Maybe the the act, the shtick, wore a little thin. I saw the tour. They uh, headlined above Slayer and Raven. I liked the first album a little better, Inside the Electric Circus. That's as far as I go with them. Ian, any t- thoughts on Wasp? I was always give and take in and out with, with all of their material. Some of the stuff was, was really good and really catchy. Some of the stuff was kind of like, you know, ah, it was middle of the road, you know I mean? So okay. I, I never went to bash them, but, you know, they were, I was always a little back and forth. Walt, any opinion on them? Nah, I wasn't a Wasp fan. Not really the biggest Wasp fan even now. Um, I mean, I look at this album. I mean, it's got a couple of covers on there. Yeah. You know, didn't do anything for me, but no. I'm not really one to judge on this album, to be honest. All right, we got another minute. We're going into Hair Nation. Well, let me get a minute on the clock. And the band... Cinderella. Walt, you got anything with Cinderella? Yeah, come on. They they released night songs. This was their, their debut. Um, and listen, they they cut their teeth in the suburbs of Philly. They were uh signed by John Bon Jovi. It was a sign of the times. And you know, their 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 purple album cover and the crazy hair and the outfits didn't translate to the music. They weren't what I would say is a pure hair band. And Tom Kiefer got that raspy bluesy. Uh, voice, really great guitar player. Um, just some really good songs on there, rockers, and even their slower songs. I wouldn't even say they were necessarily ballads. You know, they would really show their sign the next album when they came out with, uh, you know, uh, the blues style. Thumbs up. You know, I I, did, I, I like Tom Kiefer. I like their sound. I really did. And a lot of what Walt was saying holds truth. All right, staying on Sunset Strip, it's Poison. Look what the cat dragged in. Um, I have nothing to say about these guys. They weren't on my radar. They're not on my radar now. And I would put them at a three. And that's being courteous. I've said it before. Look what the cat dragged in the song. Um, What the hell's the, let me go to the show. You know, uh, number one bad boy. There's, There's three or four good solid hard rock and songs on there you got to look past the glitz and glamour of the cover um i get sick of the other stuff just like everybody else but it was you know it was something that i was given as a gift and i have a little bit of an affinity for it so guilty pleasure safe rock rock album there was nothing glamorous about it the girls liked it it was just safe but nothing special it's not like i dislike them it's more just neutral i never really gravitated to him. It was, you know, if you wanted to get something that was like, I had mentioned you guys before, it was almost like, um, energized cheap trickish power pop just kind of turned a little sideways. It had some good catchy hooks to it. And some edge. That was about it. Oh, here we go. Uh, uh, we're going to need, uh, get a minute and a half on the clock. Young guns of Europe. King Diamond, Fatal Portrait. Walt, what you got? Well, I'm a King Diamond fan, a Merciful Fate fan. Um, I mean, this was obviously 
the debut of him as King Diamond. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but he followed all, all the same sort of formulas, although the music in King Diamond maybe is a little bit more, a little more melody. Um, you got some softer stuff. It's not as dark and doomy as maybe Merciful. Yeah, the good stuff. <laughs> but yeah, but listen, it, 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 there's, it, it's not a drop down at all. And, no. uh, you know, the storyline on, on all of King's albums is great. I mean, and there's a story here. It's like almost like reading a, a Stephen King yeah. novel where you yeah. have to understand the characters, the story. There's some element of horror behind it and mystique. And I think, you know, revisit this one because on, on top of the music, it's it's the story behind, you know, the face that speaks to him out of the burning candle. Like, you talk about creepy, man. Yeah, it like, is creepy. Uh, right? It's just... Fate, you know, the from fate to 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 King Diamond solo, you know, I don't think that there was really too much deviation in the in the creative and the heaviness. The biggest thing was the elaborations of the stories. He went very yeah. conceptual, very in depth when he became King Diamond, where it was more, you know, they didn't have as much concept stuff when it was Merciful Fate. It was more come in and hit you with the song and just lay on the ground. Yeah, progression. But, uh, you know, he progressed yeah. as a musician. I grew up on I, that Merciful Fate. I think it's great. But um, a lot of the King Diamond solo, like uh, Walt was saying, it's it's next generation. It's yeah. imagery. It's storyline. It's layering. Different musicians maturing. So I can respect all that. We, we all give it a thumbs up? Yes. Listen, <laughs> Hank Sherman and then Andy LaRock. Oh, yeah. All right. No doubt. No doubt. What do we got here? Ah, oh, Thrash Bash. Uh, let's get two minutes on the clock, please. Oh, boy. Well, this is one of the majors. Metallica, Master of Puppets. Ooh. <laughs> Ian? Love it. It's one of my top albums of all time ever, ever, ever. From the beginning, from Battery all the way down to Damage Incorporated, it's just a fucking smoker. Yeah. It just takes them to a whole other level, man. What's your favorite song off that album? Thing That Should Not Be. Really? Thing That yep. Should Not Be, best song on Master of Puppets? That's my favorite. That's my favorite song on the album. Okay. Well, what's your take it's, on Master? We'll come, we'll come back to you. Listen, this album, they, they, there's variety on this album. There's some acoustic, there's some melodies on here, there's an instrumental. Um, they hit the road, opening up for Ozzy, in 86 on the, on the U S tour, they mm-hmm. got a big exposure, um, got, got a full stage presence out there. I mean, of course this was also the year that uh, Cliff died a little bit later in uh, the calendar year on that tragic bus accident. But, you know, it also gave them a lot of exposure and they, uh, this just became their peak. I think this, this and the black album were always going to be known as the pinnacle pieces of Metallica music. I mean, there's really no, the, the album is great. I mean, four tracks on each side. You love them all. They never get old. It's a masterpiece. What else is there to say? I, I agree. And not to cut you off, Ian, these songs are these songs are like friends, you know? Oh, absolutely. It's just like, oh, you know, you hang out with that dude, and, you know, it's cool, but, like, a thing that should not be, you know, when you hear the beginning of Sanitarium, Ding, ding, ding. Oh, it's chills. Damage Incorporated is insane. Um, disposable we'll heroes. A battery. A battery, yeah. We'll um, a battery. Starting it off with that acoustic guitar, you know, and it just comes in and it just lays you out. 
and we had discussed this before, you know, this is ride the lightning multiplied by two. Yeah. You know, they, they, it's the same formulaic design, but they extended the power. Uh, th- thumbs up from all of us. Thumbs up. Two thumbs up. Of course. Of course. Oh, uh, here we go. British invasion again. Nice. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne, the ultimate sin. I'll start with this. Like uh, Walt just said, Metallica opened for Ozzy on the ultimate sin. 86. Um, Ultimate Sin's a good album. It's a real good album. You take away the fact that it, he was going through his mid-80s transition with the frosted hair and the long bedazzled jacket they wore on stage. Jakey Lee was killing it. It's a, it's a really solid album considering what was going on in the Ozzy camp in the last two or three years. That Randy Rhodes death hit him hard. The drinking... You know the bark at the moon. They did the tour with the crew. I, I give Bar- I give the ultimate sin a thumbs up, guys. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, number one, shot in the dark was on MTV all over the place. It got big radio mm-hmm. and MTV video exposure, which helped. And it had a it was a melodic track. Um, you know the album covers typical mid eighties kind of creepy looking weird girl demon thing bat looking thing with Ozzy's face. Yeah, and it's just something about the songs. I mean, you really heard Jake's greatness come out um, on the title track, and I love the song Killer of Giants. There's so much yep. depth to that song. I mean, it's not an album that you really think about. When you think Ozzy, you don't automatically go to the ultimate sin, but at the end of the day, when you put it on, you're like, yeah, this is this is a good album all the way through. Maybe one or two throwaways, but in general, a good one. Yeah. Yeah, with, with me there's no throwaways it was one of those albums that was part of my high school you know years and you know killer of giants uh lightning strikes we rock i mean it just it was all good fun stuff and jake is a monster yeah you know how could you not want to listen to it all right uh what do we got here american young guns there we go queens rage for order Another song that I revisited, Rage for Order, <laughs> and the track oh, no. Walk in the Shadows. You know, there hey, I'll do my heavy metal homework. And, you know, um, I respect the words of my uh, co-pilots here. Rage for Order, uh, I got into Queensryche on the EP. The Warning, loved it. Big fan of yeah. Mind Crime, like who isn't? But I was always cold to Rage for Order. But just recently in show production, uh, Ian and I got in a heated discussion about the significance of Rage for Order. I like it. I I like it now. So not really heated. It was like a low simmer, but it was yeah. there. You know, the discussion. <laughs> no chairs were thrown or and you know, no. no one was like put on suspension for two weeks. But right. Uh what do you guys think of it? Well, oh, go ahead. I, yeah. I I love it. I think this is the most unique album of uh, their career. And it, it's got just a lot of different stuff in there, weird, you know, elements of progressive instruments and keyboards and weird. It's just right. an imagery that's odd here. I mean, I just saw Jeff Tate back in September. He, he did the, this album complete with a solo band and it was really killer. Again, it's one of those albums that I loved it at the time. I, um, I don't think there's any track I don't like. I mean, there's, they, I don't dislike any track on here. I think it's unique. 
Mm-hmm. And it fits in their progression leading up to mind crime. Oh. And it's definitely one you come back to. They looked weird at the time, but they were still, a you know, kind of an opening act on arena tours. I love it. Well, cool. Yeah. I, we give it all thumbs up. All right, a week ago, I yeah. was this, so. Right. Uh, there's good, Jeff Tate calling now saying, thank God we <laughs> passed the. Alice Oops. Cooper, do they still have it? 1986. Walt, you seem to have the your finger on the yeah. Cooper pulse. What do you got? Yeah, so uh, so he, he releases um, Constrictor, and in a way, this was maybe his comeback album. He was out of the spotlight for seven, eight years. He was actually a recluse for two or three. And, mm-hmm. of course, he was going through his addictive phase. He was in, like, a crazy mental asylum. But he came back with a killer band that included Kip Winger on bass and that big monster buff weightlifting <laughs> guy that played the machine gun that looked like Rambo. Um Kane Roberts, Roberts, right? And so his image was there, but the album, I mean, it got great exposure because uh, the song He's Back, The Man Behind the Mask was the head track for one of the Nightmare, uh, I'm sorry, Friday the 13th movies. Friday the 13th. Yeah, and you know, so that gave him exposure and you know, the song Teenage Frankenstein and The World Need Guts, just a strong album. I mean, not a memorable one, but one that I will always respect because it got him back to respectability he built his career um, from this point over. And by the time Trash came out in 1990, he was a, 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 an established name all over again. Yeah, so it was cool. I don't have anything to say, uh, Ian. Yeah. No, I, I agree with what Walt said. I mean, you can yeah. see that this was that launching point album again. Uh, Verno and I can attest, we just saw him back in September. September. Um, on tour. And you wouldn't think that Alice is in his 70s. He still gets out there and kicks ass and conducts the crowd and does everything yeah. he needs to do. And yeah. he sounds like Alice. Sounds like Alice. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. All right. Yeah. What do we got here? American Young Guns. This is quick. Sabotage. Now, I'll, I'll let you guys finish this one. I love Sabotage. Got to know me at the beginning. And honestly, I'm not familiar with Fight for the Rock. I'm really not. So you shouldn't be. Am, 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 I know. Am I missing anything, guys? No. You should know. Walt and I discussed it before. This is the record company deviating them from their normal path to be more commercial in their sound. And the result, as great of a band as Sabotage is, for the rest of us, it's like, ugh. even right. the band. Agrees yeah. with us, so it's their mulligan, you know. Oh, yeah. Okay, it's far even lower than that. It's horrible. There's not a good track on the album. Now we thought about do we even include this? The band is so good, their catalog that have we to. we have yeah. to yeah give them props and say this one sucks. So especially um, because the bounce back album off this well, is there you Apex. All right, Thrash Bash. Let me get two minutes on the clock, please. Megadeth, P-Cells. Walt, what's your take on P-Cells? Uh, you know, I think it's good, not great. I'm a, a bit of a, a later stage uh, mm-hmm. Marty Freeman era Megadeth fan. But, you know, this is these are the albums, the early albums. That the More for me than the songs was the reputation and what the band stood for right. in terms of it was all the 
at the time, you know, the burnout kids, you know, the skinny kids with the denim jackets and they had Megadeth shirts on and they were the ones that were like, oh, Megadeth, what the hell is that all about, that name? That's terrible, you know? And it was cool to be a fan of them or Slayer and that kind of thing. And, you know, of course, with the uh, with with the image and the skull character or whatever the hell his name is, I always forget it. Vic, but, Vic, yeah. Vic Rattlehead. Like Vic Rattlehead. But, yeah, I mean, listen, but, you know, how can you... You know, wake up dead. The Conjuring and Peace Cells right off the bat. Killer, legendary songs. Nothing good to say about that, guys. Devil's Island was kicker. The end of the first side. Second side. Good morning, Black Friday. My last words. My, I love the album. That 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 was on my back at the time. That was on my turntable. Dave for- was a rebel back then, right? He had gotten booted out of Metallica. He was still redeeming himself, showing off who he was. He was just a badass guy. Yeah, this was my uh, this was my real introduction to uh, Megadeth. I went back and and introduced myself to Killing Is My Business uh, afterwards. But this was this was yeah. something that I was like, man, I I can sink my teeth into this. Cool. All right, I give it a thumbs up. Yeah. Uh, Hair Nation. All right, Ian, uh, uh, Europe. Uh, I don't know how long you want to put on the clock, but one minute. One minute. Go, Ian. All right, so I got to say, I got into them. Uh, it was another tape I was given. This is um, a little bit more AOR power metal, mm-hmm. early power metal from the time. When If you go back and you get a chance to check out their stuff, I mean, that's really what they are. They've got that mix of that. It's very uh, polished AOR kind of sound, but they do it with that, you know, almost Yngwie-ish kind of yeah. You know, connection. I mean, it's some, got some cool stuff on there. I really enjoy the album. You know, so it's just another guilty pleasure, I guess. So, well, it, listen, it's got four monster hits that were on MTV all the time: Countdown, Rock the Night, Carry, Cherokee. I mean, I guess again, it's their pinnacle album in terms of commercial success. But yeah. you know, you look at the the talent in the band: Joey Tempest on vocals and John Norum on guitar. I mean, they're just great musicians. It's just that. This has got to be the style of music. You got to like this style for you to appreciate them. And it's just never been my style. But a lot of people love it. Some of my friends love it. And I can't really take it that away from them. All right. Check what about we... the newer stuff? Yeah. American Young Guns. What do we got here? Tesla. Uh, mechanical Resonance. Uh, great band. Coming at you live. Little Susie's on the up. Uh, easy come, easy go. It, it's a greatest hit. But but look at the album, like all the other bands at that time, they had themselves planted on the front of the album. There's no band members on the front of this. You got to see him live. I saw him with Def Leppard and David Roth. I mean, guys are up there in jeans and T-shirts, metal jackets. Like it was like, even though it was like, you looked at it and you said, man, this was just like, they were, they stood out from the time. They were straight ahead rock, hard rock metal, and they wanted to be different. It showed in their image, their album cover and their music. And I've been a fan since. I mean, the, just think of the, yeah. what the um, the career projection would have been if they their first single was Little Susie. Yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah. they yep. came out with Modern Day Cowboy and the way that song opens up. Bow, 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 bow. Yeah, I yeah. just, on a they side note. They live. I mean, that was a big showcase song. It still is it in was. their career. They open that one up live. It becomes a 10-minute jam or something like that. You really yeah. see the, the chops these guys have on there. Really good playing on it. Good, good new musicians. Oh, here's a quick one. Another half baked. 
Flotsam and Jetsam. Uh, Doomsday for the Deceiver. Yeah, for Deceiver. Jason Newstead was with the guys. They, they're they still putting out quality material now. Actually, yeah. the follow-up of Doomsday, um, no, no, place for, no Place for Disgrace, was fantastic. He, uh, he left the band and joined Metallica, but stayed true to the guys. They're always friends uh, from Phoenix. Love the band. You guys yeah. hit on them at all. Yeah, and I don't think anybody was going to give, you know, it's just like with Kirk Hammond leaving Exodus, you know. Yeah, you're sad, we're sad to see you go, but look at the freaking where you're going off to. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, you know, but they were another one of those bands coming up underneath, you know, the in the thrash scene. They, great band. Great and band. not for anything, the fact that he went to Metallica gave the band a push because Absolutely. this is the band Jason Newstead came from. Uh, Hair yeah. Nation, Bon Jovi, Slippery When Wet. I have nothing to say. Come on, well, <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, they're, they're, they're from my neck of the woods. Let's give credit where credit is due. This was a monster album, three, four major hits, still on the radio today. They went from opening in the year, supporting 38 Special, to being a headlining arena act by mid-year. They took all those bands like Cinderella and Tesla and everybody else out there as support acts. They had the alternative album cover that was better. It was the girl with the yellow shirt with no bra and looked like she came out of a strip club. Listen, they signed Cinderella. They were headlining stadiums by 87. Yeah, yeah. You know, they this put this era of hair rock on FM radio. All the pop radio stations that don't exist anymore. Bon Jovi was on there and all of them followed there. Poison, Def Leppard, you name it, down the line. I mean, yeah. you, listen, this was a big album from a big band and it had a very huge influence on a lot of aspects you got to give it credit honestly i never maybe i'm a little older you know two or three years makes a huge difference in our history by the time that was coming out you know it was i wasn't paying much attention to it but sure um ian anything to add to it or you agree launch now yeah launch point album you know you see the the i mean this is slippery one wet New Jersey, and then uh, keep the faith. I mean, he couldn't he couldn't roll in shit and come out smelling bad, you know, the way he was going. <laughs> That's you know, true. He, he really just had it going. So, a uh, quick little half baker, pile driver, uh, fun pile driver, fun Ooh. band, a fun band from uh, Canada. Canada Ooh. had the album Metal Inquisition. The, uh, <laughs> the, Sorry, thing, <laughs> the thing with these guys, it was a fun fact was, well, the, the album, they really weren't a band. It was a studio project that gained a cult following. They released two albums right. of so close to a million copies in the history. Yep. So pile yep. driver. Hey, how about Candlemas? Epicus Dumicus Metallicus. One of the first of its kind, slow, dark, doom metal with uh, melodic vocals, band out of Sweden. Mm-hmm. I mean, just go and listen to the song "Solitude." Take it out. It's killer, killer. Well, these see these, like killer. we said, and that's the point of this section of half baked. You know, they, they didn't have chance to get full born. Uh, another half baked band, Raven. The pack is back. Now, Raven. They've been around forever, and they have a huge history, but they've never really achieved that status. Now, granted, uh, they, like, like Sabotage, they took a detour on the career path when they were enticed yeah. by 
a major label release, but the pack yeah. is back. It was a, it was a misfire. Uh, there was really yeah. not much to say about it. I love the band. You know, Walt and I saw them in the fall. Uh, you know, they're famous for bringing Metallica out on the road. So, yeah. uh, what do we got here? Uh, another Hair Nation. Vinnie Vincent. Yeah, I got a couple seconds for Vinnie Vincent. Walt, your take on Vinnie Vincent? Yeah, hell yeah. I mean, I love this album. Love, love the band, you know, but dysfunctional from the start. You know, Robert Fleischman sings on the album. The songs were written in 82 before he joined Kiss. They were demoed. Robert Fleischman's out before the album comes out. Mark Slaughter replaces him. He's lip syncing in the video. You got Dana Strum on bass, overindulgence of Vinny on guitar. But the album's not a hair album. It is just killer ripping, guitar influenced music. Good, but the band imploded. They would put out one more album a couple years later, which that one I love even more. But it's I got a little soft spot for it. I think it's cool. Hey, on a side note, did you see it was just uh, announced? The uh, Creature Fest down in Nashville. Yes, I saw that. Yeah, so see if that really what? happens. He's, done, he's had these things like on and off for the last five years, and he doesn't show up to any of them. He doesn't show up. Last minute. Yeah, he promises. The guys, they put together the Rockin' Pod that I attended last year down in Nashville. Chris Sinzak and Aaron uh, Camaro from the the Metal Geek podcast, friends of the show. Vinny Vince was just... Yeah, Vinnie Vincent was supposed to go. It was a big no-show, and, you know, there's bad blood there. So, uh, Ian, you got anything to say about Vinnie Vincent? Yeah, the album was pretty cool. Um, If he shows up this time, he'll probably be wearing a moo-moo. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. Yeah, I know. (laughs) He left his heels and pocketbook behind. That's why he didn't show up. We got two left. The last one's another thrash bash, and it's Slayer, Raining Blood. Okay? Two minutes. It's three of the four big fours that represented in 1986. Uh, Slayer, the West Coast, as opposed to, uh, well, Metallica was West Coast, too. But uh, Slayer's a little more aggression, a different lane in the Thrash Boulevard, if you will. I absolutely love it. I think Raining Blood's um, top five all time. From start to finish, it's one of those just press plays. I, I just think it's a masterpiece. And and if you're talking about bands uh, benchmark, uh, this is their benchmark. So, yeah, I always put this, this album and uh, I have a soft spot for uh, South of heaven and seasons in the abyss too, but our rain and blood is, it's just, you know, that that's prototypical Slayer. When yeah. you think of Slayer, you think of angel of death and rain and blood and it's just brutality from beginning to end on this album. What's it? 29 minutes? Yeah. I think something like that. 28 minutes long. Yeah. You know, they just go in, they, and they're done. That's so. it. Lance, anything? Yeah. I mean, listen, it, it's a legendary album. You know, I think Ian has, has said this before. I mean, I would say I like Slayer, but I'm not like a geeky fan over them. So I appreciate it. I love the songs. I've seen them a million times. This has just got legendary status. To me, they fall in a Megadeth camp. It was cool to be a rebel and to be a metalhead because you wanted to rebel and the two bands you rebel by wearing their t-shirts and having long hair and being all skinny and weird was Slayer and Megadeth at 86. 
bottom line. <laughs> A couple disclaimers. One, sometimes you you may hear me misspeak and call Walt Lance. It's it's just a little nickname, so I don't want to confuse anyone. And yeah, we who have calls Walt- any, who calls anybody Lance? What kind of name is that? I don't Come Lance on, Lance Romance. I don't know. I don't know. Jeez, you know how much game you have. Get out of your system now. <laughs> Never again. Uh, we're going to finish up now, but I just want to just uh, alert everyone to visit the Metal Mayhem ROC website. There you could download past episodes of the show. You could go to our Metal, <laughs> Metal Mayhem ROC YouTube <laughs> channel. Here I'll, you know, watch more videos. And again, you could uh, listen to us live on Metal Mayhem ROC live on Metal Devastation Radio on Monday nights. Come join us. Yeah, join us in the chat room. All right, so we went through 23 of the 25 bands here tonight. And again, we were we we're just trying to illustrate some of what we thought was worthy of um, mentioning. Sure. It takes a lot to cut this down to, you know, we don't want to be here all day. But right. we have enough time for California Dreaming. And this is van halen and david lee roth go head to head in 1986 van halen sammy hagar changed the sound they moved just like some of their contemporaries with priest and maiden and some of those other keyboard directions uh david lee roth had an all-star band i i love both units it's i'm a van halen fan my favorite band of all time but in 1986, I wasn't really too happy with the first time I heard why, why Can't This Be Love? I thought that was a downer, you know, but the energy of the David Lee Roth, Eat em and Smile Band, I think we all can agree on that. So I'll give my vote for who won this battle at the end. Let me hear what you guys have to say. Uh, Walt, what's your take on David Lee Roth versus Van Halen? Well, you know, I David Lee Roth was like uh, I I was geeking out on him in this this period of time, and I didn't even want to acknowledge Van Halen, and I agree. And then once Van Halen came out with the two sort of you know why can't this be love, and then Dreams as the second release or Love walks in, mm. it was almost like unfair, but it was almost at the time cool to be like, oh come on, they're lame. How, how is that Van Halen? Look at what Roth is doing. But over the years, you come back to appreciate how great of an album Fifty One Fifty is. Yes. Summer Nights is a killer. Uh, song yeah. and it shows the growth and the maturity of the band with Sammy and vocals it's you know and you see what's to come and you know later on by the early 90s these guys are just you know how could you not love them but my vote always will go for Eat em and Smile just for who they stood for me around that time uh, you've seen the shirt I was that I was the cover for, for Halloween that year I have pictures of that in a box somewhere saw both shows he did the big gimmicks on stage with the blow-up boxing ring and everything else. That was just my favorite, hands down. I mean, being a Eddie fan, I was cut to the core when Why Can't This Be Love was the first single. But just like you guys, Eat em and Smile, to me, was an extension of Van Halen. It was all of the energy, all the bravado of Roth, all of the guitar power and all the instrumentation that was an extension of what he had helped them craft and create for all of those years. Van Halen just decided to make a little bit of a turn. The album is still a great album, 
there's still a shit ton of great material on there, but I will always select Eat em and Smile over 5150. That's, it, that's interesting that you say that about the Eat em and Smile because I didn't think it was an extension of Van Halen. I, th- I thought it was great, and I love Steve Vai and Billy Sheehan, but um, it was great on its own. But well, it, I don't want I don't want you to think that I'm not saying that it was a mimic, but you know those intensity levels we're used to having from Van Halen. But they you know you didn't have that. Michael Anthony, you didn't have Alex, right. and this isn't a no. discredit to Greg Bissonette or Billy Sheehan because those guys are. No you know, above and beyond. They're not a backing Absolutely. band. They're, it's it's great. Yeah. And yeah. let's not discredit what Sammy Hagar did bring to Van Halen, even though us diehards were like, you know, it's sacrilegious not to have Roth and Van Halen. You know, he was able to propel that band right. in another mm-hmm. direction that, right. you know, all those number ones. And, hey, at, at least we are able to see the band and the band still toured and it was still, they were the kings of the hill. That that band had, they were at the top on both careers. It's unfortunate what- And look at Sammy up there. I mean, he was a spokesperson in a different way. He said, I'm not Roth. I'm not trying to be Roth. Yeah. I'm up there, I'm playing guitar. I'm playing some of my solo songs. I'm gonna play some acoustic stuff, you know, like where where eagles fly. Like, And he was up there saying, you know what? I'm bringing to Van Halen something that was grossly missing. And in the end, if you look five years later, who was the bigger band? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's not even close. Not even close in three years. Right? Yeah. Here's here's the thing. I had said it before. I went on record before and said it. I was a Hagar fan as well. Mm-hmm. You know, when he came into the band, I didn't, it wasn't that I had any, you know, I didn't feel like, oh my God, you're, you're stabbing me in the back it just was a different animal, a different feeling for me, you know, especially being a guitar guy. I want Eddie as Eddie all the time. I don't want Eddie on the keyboards. Okay. The material was still great. They were showing how good they were at crafting and creating good music. Songs like summer nights. Eddie goes deep with us and, and it's still Eddie. And at the end of the day, I always have to side with Eddie. Sure. Okay. And, sure. but we got two great, I enjoyed yeah. both of them. So, yeah. yeah. Wow. All right. Well, 1986, again, you know, there, we, we, there's a lot of bands we cut out in. Yeah. When you're looking at over 200 albums to start the year and you got to whittle it down and we were able to do it to 25, that's, that's not too bad. All right, so 86 is put to bed. Walt, what do we have for 87? So 87, um, it's really a changing of the guard. I mean, there's going to be a lot of great releases from our traditional metal bands still, right? But they fly a lot more under the radar now by this time. And the the hair bands are at the top. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you look at like some of the legendary monster releases that came out in 87 from Def Leppard and Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue and Great White and still Bon Jovi was still riding the coattails of Slippery When Wet. They're they're all the rage in 87. But there's a lot of other good stuff there too. Um, You know, know, I think of uh, a band like Aerosmith who reintroduced himself in 87 
their second life came back in 87. We'll talk a lot about that album. And, you know, Anthrax uh, broke new ice with the On The Man EP in a slightly different approach. Um, so an- another great year that's going to have a lot of killer stuff. going to be hard to narrow it down. Don't think it'll be as challenging as 86, but it's going to be fun. Looking forward to it. Uh, Ian, any parting shots before we wrap this up? Yeah, I think that, you know, we're at that point, you know, like you get a couple of years in a row where you have these collections of bands and collections of albums. 87, I think, is not too far removed from what 86 was. Yeah, yeah. And you don't have certain bands in there, but there still was a lot of great material. And I think that's going to be something that's going to be another challenge for us to try to shim it down and, and give you the good stuff, you know, but by all means, go back and check out, you know, anything, you know, you can Google. Yeah. And and listeners, do us a favor. If there's something you want to comment, visit the Metal Mayhem ROC group page, leave a comment, call us out, you know, give us shit, give us a compliment, you know, just interact with us. And the more we hear from you, the uh, better we could uh, prepare this. So again, go to, go to the website. You could view some of the... We've been doing this history of metal. It started way back last August with the year 1973. And here we are going to 1987. So, so that's about it. For Ian O'Rourke from Motorlord and Metal Walt from New Jersey, I'm the Vernomatic. This is Metal Mayhem ROC, and we'll see you soon. And Ian, what do we do? Keep it heavy. There you go. See you, folks. Later. Metal for Life. Thank you for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check out our website at MetalMayhemROC.com for information on podcasts, archives, links to all our live radio shows, and all sorts of info. Please like, follow, and share with everyone, even your non-metal friends. And always remember to keep it heavy. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.